Welcome back to another edition of the PagCast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Blue Jackets insider Jeff Svoboda. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great as well. Thank you again for coming on. This does go a long way for me in my early sports journalism career. Oh, well, you know, I remember those days and uh, it was always nice to when, you know, people were willing to kind of help out when I was uh, just getting into business. And that was, uh, you know, I hope, hopefully it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was about 15 years ago for me. So yeah, I totally understand. It's good whenever anyone wants to talk about the Blue Jackets. Uh, I always love doing this kind of stuff because sometimes we don't get the, uh, the publicity of other teams. So uh, it's, it's good, to, good to do that. Now with the Blue Jackets, they are going to the playoffs. Is, uh, does your beard represent the traditional playoff beard? <laughs> I have had a beard since 2009, so this is not any different than normal. Although with the pandemic going on, it's a little longer uh, than usual. I actually trimmed it up a little bit today. It was getting pretty out of hand, but uh, I, I will keep it going whether we win or lose. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely longer right now than it's been probably ever. And with the pandemic, you know, a lot of people have turned towards Netflix uh, to kind of uh, settle in. You know, they've watched Tiger King, Ozark, and Outer Banks are also, you know, great TV shows. What have you been doing during quarantine? Uh, down here in Ohio, the golf courses are open. So that's been a thing that I've done quite a bit just because it's one of the few things you can do to get out of the house for about four or five hours uh, and get some fresh air and, and be outside and not have to really worry about the virus. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of that. Uh, and then as far as Netflix goes, um, I, I rewatched like the whole, uh, the whole show uh, run of Parks and Rec there for a while. Um, and then I started uh, Schitt's Creek, uh, which is the great Canadian uh, sitcom. Um, and I'm about halfway through that. So that's one I've been watching as well. But I haven't, I thought I was going to watch a lot more Netflix and maybe I was for about, uh, about a month or two, but it hasn't been as much as I kind of thought. And I, I've actually ended up watching a lot of old games uh, when they're on the networks, you know, with, with, you know, no sports, they've had to put something on. So oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So whether it be MLB network, watching old baseball games, you know, NHL network, stuff like that, watching, you know, uh, watching a lot of the Jackets games from this year, just to see anything I might've missed while they were happening. So uh, I, I've been able to fill the time somehow, but, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to there actually being uh, uh, live sports and, and real hockey again, which looks like we're trending in that direction. Now, let's get into your uh, story a bit here. Who influenced you to get into sports journalism? You know, that's a good question because, I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do. And I guess if, you, if I had to give you one answer, it would be ESPN. Uh, I just remember as a kid uh, watching it as much as I could. And I remember I, I loved the Dan Patrick, uh, Keith Olbermann, sports centers like that was like the height of my interest in sports was I just loved how smart and funny they were even as like a, a 10 year old um which a lot of the jokes probably went over my head uh but it was something uh that I just always wanted to do from that point forward and I remember being a kid and kind of uh writing my own little sports newsletters and stuff and uh you know it just it was just something it was the only thing I ever wanted to do in life uh and so I was lucky enough that it kind of worked out for me because I know a lot of people uh, who, who tried to do this and were really good at it. And then for some, whatever reason, it didn't work out. They end up going other directions or whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, it's what I've wanted to do. If, if I got fired tomorrow, I have absolutely no idea what I would do other than this because this is pretty much uh, the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So, yeah, it's, uh, I'm lucky that it's, uh, it's kind of got me this far. Well, I just want to mention that SportsCenter with the RE rather than the ER at the end is the better version. <laughs> well, I do. It's funny uh, when we are in Canada and travel up there, we do obviously get to see it. Yeah, uh, and one thing that was kind of interesting to me, um, and I, when we've we've seen, uh, I think Jay and Dan, they are the best. Here. Yeah, they ended up being down here for a while, and so I think Americans got exposed to them. But when I before I covered the Blue Jackets, I covered Ohio State, um, and we have a great, uh, a, a pretty good pro hockey program down here, but uh, mm -hmm. both men's and women's. And so the last trip that we were up in Canada, I would turn on the TV one night. Tessa Benam, who was a, a great Buckeye, was on, 
Um, and then Natalie Spooner, who also played at Ohio State, you know, on next night I flip on Sports Center and she's on there. And it was like everywhere I go, there's Ohio State Buckeyes and people I knew from back in the day. And so it's kind of funny uh, to kind of see how they become stars up there uh, with their play and then being kind of in the media as well. So uh, that's the one thing about this business, too. It's a small world. And I remember, uh, you know, watching Tessa play uh, when she was, you know, a, a freshman and sophomore and uh, at Ohio State. And now she's like a superstar out there in Canada. So uh, you're getting some good ones from who at least have some ties to Ohio. I can tell you that. Well, I just want to mention that, you know, Tessa and both Natalie are, you know, great, fantastic hockey players. Both are gold medalists against uh, when they play against the USA. So, you know, go Canada, go. <laughs> well, it's always a great rivalry, isn't it? But, you know, right now I think the U.S. has bragging rights after 2018. Well, how can you say that after, you know, they basically went to a shootout in the women's game? Like that, that doesn't even represent, you know, getting a gold medal. You, you understand? Oh, they've got, I mean, they've got gold medals, I can tell you that. You know, you got to win it somehow. Uh, oh, I remember, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I was up, that was, you know, that was a late-night game. I remember staying up uh, until, like, 2.30 in the morning to watch the ending of that game. That was an absolute classic and uh, still won. Uh, after Canada got us in, 20, in 20, uh, was it 2010 or was it? 2010 you know, and 2014 back-to-back. Back. 14 was the one where uh, they, Canada scored the two late goals and then won it. Yeah, pull in, and, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the U.S. owed them a little bit of payback on that one, but uh, – but it's fun, too. We've got uh, Lisa Chesson, who was a silver medalist on that 2010 team, uh, does a lot of stuff with the Blue Jackets, and she's a great person. Uh, I've got to know her a little bit over the last couple of years. And so, you know, like I say, it's a small world, and it's kind of fun, even on the women's side, to see kind of how the game has grown and, and just those great representatives of, uh, of uh, the sport. And, and there's uh, my hometown in, in Ohio, uh, actually another person who was on the 2010 silver medal team, uh, Brianne McLaughlin, was a backup goalie for the U.S., and she grew up probably 10 minutes away from me. So it's kind of uh, you know, even here in Ohio, we've got a lot of ties to the game, so it's pretty cool. And then also Kendall Coyne Schofield, right? She was the first woman to do the uh, speed skating at the yeah. – uh, not speed skating, fastest skater at the All-Star game. Yeah, and she's like, that's crazy. Become, yeah, and she's become quite a big, uh, I think, big influence and big inspiration for a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, young girls who want to get into hockey. And she's actually really good friends with um, the Blue Jackets uh, skills coach, Kenny McCudden, uh, was a coach of hers. They're both from Illinois, and they've worked together pretty much her entire life. So it was actually funny – when she was in town, when we were when the Jackets were down in Florida in December, uh, we were, we just played the Panthers and then we left the next day. Uh, the Sharks came in that night because they were going to play the Panthers right after us. Um, and so in the in the morning, I go down to the lobby uh, and just to get some breakfast. And there's uh, Kenny McCudden and Kendall Coyne Schofield sitting there just sitting in the lobby having a great conversation. It's like, wait a minute, I think she looks familiar. Uh, and then so Kenny introduced me, so I got to meet her uh, down in Florida on one of those trips because she was doing work with the Sharks. Uh, at the time so like I say it's a, you never know who you're gonna run into and it's a small world but it's and it's I'm someone who's really enjoyed uh I used to, you know with Ohio State being here and with the way college hockey is uh you know some of the best women's players in the world come through uh you know Ohio State and Minnesota and Minnesota Duluth and that you know so pretty much all the Olympians before they become Olympians I've seen them playing down here at Ohio State and so it's kind of cool uh just to see them up close and personal and see how good that's that hockey is and it's great hockey so and it's gotten better quite a bit over the last probably 20 years. And so it, it's really come a long way, and it's, it's fun to see uh, those connections. Like you mentioned, you uh, kind of grew up with ESPN. That's how you got influenced. Uh, would you be able to speak upon your road to where you are today, like some of the successes, uh, challenges? Yeah, I, I, well, I'd say the biggest successes have always been uh, – have kind of been uh, triumphs of timing, I guess. Um, and that's kind of pretty much any uh, job you're going to get in, in life is pretty much always going to be that way. But, you know, I, I took a very sort of traditional path for a sports journalist as far as to get where I am today. Uh, you know, I went to uh, – I'm from Ohio, went to Ohio State University and, and did journalism there and, uh, you know, was sports director of the student radio station and uh, sports editor of the school newspaper and just kind of got into it from there. And 
uh, I guess I was decent at it. Uh, but on top of that, I met people uh, who really, you know, came to like me. And then just through, through being at so many events, I got to meet a lot of people, uh, even when I was in college. And that ended up, I ended up getting a job covering Ohio State right away and did that for nine years. Uh, you know, right, my first year was covering the number one football team in the country, uh, which was pretty crazy. Uh, and so I uh, did that for a while and, and stuck with it and kind of rose from the bottom guy at where I was working to being the editor of the whole thing. And then uh, moved to Toledo, Ohio, which is not a tremendously uh, well-known place, but um, there's a, a pretty good newspaper there. I worked there for three years and became sports editor uh, for my final year there. Uh, and then ended up getting hired by the Blue Jackets. And, and the, kind of the two things that worked out the entire time uh, as I was doing that uh, was, uh, A, that there was the timing always worked out. Uh, that when I was looking to I mean, when a job opened, I happened to be at a point where I was looking to do something different, or when I was looking to do something different, there happened to be the right job, and that's something that doesn't always happen. Uh, and then just the people you know, um, and I think that's, you know, people, you know, I get, do get asked quite a bit, like, what are the two things uh, that, you know, or what are the, what, what would you say to people who are trying to get in the business, and how did you get into the business? And I would say, uh, you know, the, the two things I say are work your butt off, and then just know the right people. Uh, because the more people you know, and the more connections you make, the more likely you are maybe down the road. Uh, for those connections to work out. And that's pretty much what's happened for me is, you know, getting the job with the Blue Jackets. Uh, uh, and it's a total blast and I absolutely love it. Uh, and you can talk more about that as, however you want, but uh, just as far as getting the job and being lucky enough to do it, uh, I, I started, uh, I was at Toledo at the time and just happened, there just happened to be the opening to be the, the Jackets insider, be the team reporter. Uh, and, and I just happened to have enough connections with people covering the team and also people uh, in the front office, just who I kind of met over the years and passing and stuff like that, that they kind of knew me and had a comfort level with me. And I was lucky enough to get the job. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the path I followed. And, you know, there's, there's obviously positives and negatives and great things that happen. You know, the first probably seven or eight years of my life, you're just scraping by and trying to make, uh, you know, make enough money to survive. Uh, and, but, you know, it, the, the cool thing too, was though covering Ohio state, it wasn't like I had to go to some, you know, small town and, and, you know, cover high school sports or whatever, which, which would have been fun. Uh, but I was lucky enough that I was covering big time college athletics right out of school. And so, we, you know, I got to meet a lot of cool people, do a lot of cool things. Uh, and so a lot of things have worked out for me. I got really lucky. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you, you still, you know, I spent a lot of times in, in cold ice rinks on Saturday nights rather than being out with my friends and stuff like that. So uh, you kind of have to work your, your butt off to make it happen as well. So I'm getting my foot in the door in the sports journalism business by doing this podcast. Did you ever promote your own work uh, while you were just starting out? I guess you try to. It's different because the world, when I first started out, I think was a lot different than what it is mm -hmm. now. And it's kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but when I go back to when I started uh, in this business, which, you know, I, I was covering uh, the, the Buckeyes when I was uh, in school, which was basically 2003 to 2006, and got my first, you know, full-time job in 2006. Uh, when I started, Twitter didn't exist. And I, I very much remember uh, going to a website, I think it was actually, um, I was becoming a big soccer fan at the time. So it was like MLS rumors. Um, I would go to their website and kind of read some of the stories that they were writing about players and, and just kind of talk around the, the soccer league. And they had this thing on the right side of their website that said like Twitter, like you'll visit our Twitter page. And I remember clicking on it and thinking, well, this is stupid. Like what's the point of Twitter? And then it kind of slowly grew and grew and grew. And now it's become obviously if you're a journalist and, and you know, it's a, it's a way uh, to promote your work and make contacts and stuff like that. And it's really, you know, news breaks on Twitter now. And it's like everybody's customizable news source. And that didn't exist. You know, the 24-hour cycle of news uh, really just wasn't the same way, you know, when I was starting out. And so uh, it, was, it was a different way to promote yourself. I mean, there wasn't really podcasts back then. 
Um, I, I think that, you know, there was radio shows and, you know, I did student radio when I was in school, but like there was no real podcast sort of, you know, certainly the ease of, of uh, taping them and distributing them wasn't the way that it was now. So it, it was a very different world uh, when I first got started. And so, I, it, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. Uh, you know, the, I think it's actually better for young journalists, though, too, is that if you have a unique voice and if you have um, something about yourself that you do want to promote uh, and, and you're good at it, I think it's easier now to really catch eyeballs and, and really get people to look your direction. Uh, I mean, you, you really had to do it almost in obscurity for a long time back in the day. And I think that like the unique voices that kind of came out back when I was in school. And I remember Bill Simmons, when he started for ESPN and was a unique voice, he had probably written his stuff in Boston for a number of years before he got that break. But, you know, how was he going to get that break until ESPN.com picked him up? But there was only one ESPN.com and there was only really one guy that kind of became famous through doing that. And it was him. I mean, they're just the opportunities weren't what they used to be. So, uh, I mean, I, I would, you know, I certainly encourage people to promote themselves and, and do it the best they can. And uh, now you've got so many tools that I think, uh, I think the cream really rises to the top a lot more efficiently than it used to, because just there's, it's so much easier to get eyeballs and, and make a name for yourself because you know, it's just easier to be seen now than it was probably 15 years ago when I was starting out. Now, what are some of the challenges that come with your job as a uh, Columbus Blue Jackets insider? Uh, you know, there's the usual challenges. Um, a lot of people ask me, what's it like working for a team uh, as opposed to being working for a newspaper? I've, I spent the first, you know, probably, you know, 12, 13 years of my career uh, working for newspapers. And so it was now working for a team is, is the access a little bit different uh, does the team, I get asked all the time, do they, do they shut down stories you want to write or do they have to approve things you have to write? And I, I have to say, uh, the Blue Jackets have been really good to me as far as, uh, you know, th they've really never uh, been very he been heavy handed in what they've, you know, what I've written. You know, I pretty much have the editorial freedom uh, to, to write, uh, you know, what, what I'm doing. Uh, and they've been really great in that regard. So it hasn't really changed my, uh, you know, my job too much. You know, probably the second biggest question I get as far as challenges go is like, what's it like covering John Tortorella? Uh, because everyone wants to know what Torts is like. And I actually would say that, you know, I, I'm going to miss him when he's gone uh, on a daily basis. You know, there are times where he just doesn't want to talk and, and just, that's just the way it's going to be. But I would say 95% of the time, he's great to the media. He, you know, behind the scenes, he's a great guy. Uh, but when he's at, when he's also in front of the microphones, uh, you know, he gives, he gives more detailed, unique, interesting, insightful answers than any coach I've ever been around. You know, I covered Jim Trussell and was around him on a daily basis and over Urban Meyer, you know, really high profile college football coaches and, and torts, I think, in hockey kind of has that same reputation. Uh, but, but he's a dream. He's great. I mean, he'll tell you what he thinks. Uh, you know, he, he, there are times where he, he gets mad and he's just not in the mood for it. And you just kind of can't take it personally and have to move on and go to the next day. Uh, but like I said, 95 and maybe even 99% of the time, he's great and he's fun to cover. Uh, and he, he just tells you the way it is and, and he will, he will give you, uh, he fills up the notebook. That's for sure. And he's interesting. He tells you exactly actually what he's thinking and actually what's going on rather than just kind of sitting behind cliches and stuff like that. Uh, and so that's been really fun as well. So, you know, the challenges are, are really not, you know, a ton. I mean, one thing that's great about working in hockey is that by and large, uh, pretty much everyone you work with is really easy to work with. And, you know, the guys are great. Uh, you know, you, you don't walk into the locker room and think, that, oh, my God, I have to talk to this guy today. You know, everybody is generally, you know, you know, really accommodating with their time and, and really good with their answers and stuff like that. And so uh, yeah, that's why I say I'm lucky is I've kind of fallen into this job here now where uh, there's a lot of good things to say about it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm lucky, that, you know, working for a good organization and working in a great sport 
there's a, certainly a lot more uh, positives than there are negatives and a lot more uh, successes than there are challenges, I would say. Well, when you are reporting on uh, John Torrella, well, I guess the media, uh, you've got to be aware of when uh, Larry Brooks is uh, in the scrum as well, because I know that he will say some, uh, some you know, questionable comments towards, towards his uh, coaching game. But I also think that that's almost, and I, we don't see Brooks around a ton, but I think when we go back to New York, we still, you know, he still will come and talk to Torts. And I think they have kind of patched that up a little bit. You know, they were a little bit at, especially in the playoffs, Torts is just so tight whipped. And so, oh, yeah. you know, when you keep digging at him in the playoffs, he just doesn't want to have it. And so that's probably when he goes a little, uh, you, that's when those highlights that you see on YouTube tend to happen. Um, but a lot of times Torts does that to take away focus. He puts the heat on himself to take away focus from his team. Uh, and I, there's, a, there's a method to his – I don't want to say madness because it makes it sound like he's crazy. But you know what I mean. There's a method to, to what he's doing, uh, I would say. And so, uh, but the funny thing, too, is when we go back with Torts to uh, – you know, people talk about his Vancouver tenure as being kind of a, a – he was only there a year, and obviously he got himself into some trouble there. Uh, you know, they, first of all, they didn't win, but also he created a lot of headlines. That was when he had the issue with Calgary uh, and stuff like that. And I think that there's kind of this thought out there that he hated his time in Vancouver and – and the people there didn't really get along with him. But, we you know, when he goes back to Vancouver, uh, the Vancouver writers, I mean, he's so excited to see them. Uh, they're excited to see him. He's got a good relationship with them. Uh, when he goes to uh, New York City, you know, and back to the, you know, when we play in Madison Square Garden where he coached for the Rangers, uh, he's got so many contacts there uh, that, that are happy to see him, and he's happy to see them, the rink guys, and, uh, you know, the guys behind the scenes. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of good relationships with kind of – a lot of the common folk and a lot of the writers around the league. So as much as the, he has that reputation out there, he's probably a lot better guy than people might think he is. Uh, although I don't know that he necessarily wants that out there either, just because uh, he, I think he likes the reputation a little bit uh, whenever it, uh, you know, sometimes it suits him. Uh, but by and large, he's a really fun guy to be around. I will say that. How busy is your life with uh, hockey? Well, right now it's a little bit different than it's ever been. Uh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> when the season's going on, obviously it's, it's incredibly busy. And that's, that's kind of the normal uh, thing. And, and I would say, uh, you know, that six months from pretty much September into April. So I guess it's seven months. And then if you go into playoffs, I mean, it's busy. And especially for someone like me, who's lucky enough to travel with the team and go to all the road games. I mean, I, it's pretty much there's six months or where I'm living out of a suitcase. Uh, you know, you, you come home, you do your laundry and then you pack right up and go back on the road again. And so, uh, it's busy, but it, but it's fun certainly. Um, and it's, I think if you get into this business, you kind of, you don't get into sports writing or sports media to do it for 40 hours a week. That's just not really the way it works out. Um, if you want to work 40 hours a week, you know, you, you can get an office job and that's, that's it. But like, if you, you know, all the jobs I've ever had, I've worked 50, you know, to 60 to 70 hours a week when the season's going on. And then off seasons are always a little, obviously a little bit better. Uh, and especially here in hockey, the off season, especially once you get through the, uh, through the draft and, and uh, free agency, you know, July and August are, are pretty chill uh, in, in a normal year. Obviously, now it's a little bit different this year. Um, but, you know, when you're in the season, it's, it's, it's busy and you're working, you're working your butt off. But that's kind of, you know, if you enjoy it, though, it's, 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 really, it's really not that bad. Uh, and but the fun thing, too, is with the travel, you know, you, you become really a part of the group. And, and with us and the support staff that goes and, you know, uh, it's tough sometimes being on the road all the time. But you're there with friends and, and you're there with people who you really enjoy being around. And they sort of become a second family and, you know, you see them really more than your family. Uh, and so for as busy as it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's what I like to do. And it's, it's something I'm suited for and I, I enjoy it. And, you know, uh, you know, working 60 hours a week really doesn't bother me because you still find time. You're doing it with people you like. And so I think that's the main thing uh, is that when I go to the rink, you know, as much as I'm there, I'm there with people I enjoy being around. And it doesn't feel like work all the time. And so, you know, those 14-hour days, 
you know, you got a morning skate and you're at the rink at 10 a.m. and you don't leave till the game is over at 11. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, 13, 14, 15 hour day of, of a game day. Uh, I'm there with good people and I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm getting to watch hockey. So what's, what's better than that? Uh, how do you keep busy during the off season then? Like I say, golf. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> The interesting part is, you know, and, and I've kind of gotten used to this too, is, you know, no matter what sport you cover, and when I was covering Ohio State, you know, you have the football season, then you go off and you've got summer. Uh, here you've got, it's the same way you've got summer. Uh, you know, you find things to do during the off season. Uh, it's a little bit different. Obviously, it's not as, uh, as crazy um, as, the, as the regular season is. Um, but we've got, you know, obviously in the NHL, uh, you play until April and then you might play into, into May or June and then you know, June, you're, you're preparing for the draft, uh, and then you've got development camp right after that with us, and then you've got free agency right after that. And so those first couple months when the season ends, you're able to, you know, you're, you're still pretty busy. You know, it's not, it's not the constant everyday busyness, but, you know, there's still plenty of things to talk about. You can look back at how the season went. Uh, you can look ahead to the draft. You can look ahead to free agency and stuff like that. Um, and then you just kind of have to find a, a couple ways to stay busy in, in, you know, the summer months. And certainly there's, you know, there's vacation to be had there as well. Uh, you know, and everybody's always really good about that. You see, Bob, you know, we're all like Bob McKenzie. We all become Bobby Margarita there for a couple of weeks uh, when, the, when the summer happens. But then, you know, you still, you still find a couple of things. You've got time then to, to do, you know, a, a couple of maybe more in-depth things you want to have time to do the rest of the year. And you kind of stay in touch with guys and, and write about that. And then before you know it, you look up and it's, it's September and we're getting started again. So uh, in, in a league like this, there's, there's usually always something to write about. And you, you can figure out ways to keep yourself busy even when there's not much going on. Uh, and then, you know, our, our time in the office, you know, the team's really good. You know, they don't really make me work, you know, nine to five every day in the summer. You know, it's come in, get your work done and, and go home and, and call it a day and enjoy the, enjoy the time. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard as well. So uh, you, you figure out things to do is what I would kind of say is, is the more you do it, the older you get. What's a typical game day for you at home? Oh, I was just kind of uh, talking about it there, but uh, especially, you know, it, what's funny is that two or th two years ago, it felt like, uh, Torts got rid of morning skates, and so we didn't necessarily have to be there in the morning. Uh, but now they've kind of come back, and I think I think the players actually just sort of liked it. And I think that was you know uh, the, it kind of helped them get into a routine of what they're used to on a daily basis. And so a game day, uh, you know, the Jackets morning skate was always at ten thirty if it's a home game. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you the home game day because that one's a little more normal than the road because you know there's so many more variables on the road. Um, but you know, so if it's a home game day, I you know I usually get to the rink around ten. Uh, and go straight down to the uh, the uh, press conference area where in Nationwide Arena where the Blue Jackets have that. And so uh, Torts will usually talk at 10.30. Um, he'll give kind of his daily update, who's in the lineup, uh, goalie, um, that kind of stuff. And you can, you know, basically ask him whatever you want at that point. Um, and then as soon as he's – when he's done, go out and kind of – the morning skate's going on, so you can kind of see who's out there uh, and see what they're up to. And that usually takes about half an hour to 45 minutes. And so we do that. Uh, and then go to the locker room for interviews. So we're in the room, you know, before the you know morning of the game, and you know, uh, you, you're, it's not a time to sit down with a guy for 15 minutes and do a long-winded feature story. But you know, whoever you need to talk to uh, is usually available then. So you kind of get some more interviews done. And, uh, by that time, it's about 11:45 or so, and so uh, the opposing team will be out there. So if there's someone from the opposing team, you know, maybe a free agent that's come back that had played for the Jackets or someone who's from the area or whatever, you can talk to them or you can watch the opposing team. You know, certainly when. Uh, Sergey Bobrovsky came back. Uh, you know, all the us Columbus guys were watching the Panthers morning skate that day because uh, it was his first game back. And then we tried to talk to him, although he didn't want to talk till after the game um, rather than be distracted before the game. But, you know, so you kind of you, you go from there. And then uh, when all that's done, I, I kind of go back up. Our offices are actually in the arena um, in Nationwide. So I go back to the office. 
you know, if there's anything I need to write based off of what happened in the morning, um, I'll go ahead and get that done. Uh, and then I'll probably go to lunch uh, somewhere in there. And then it's, you know, somewhere, it's, by then it's around two o'clock or so. Um, and then probably, uh, you know, you've got a couple hours there to do whatever, you know, so it's, you know, transcribe, get some work done, work ahead, work on a story for the next day, stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's a good time to kind of see your coworkers because they're, they're there too. So you can kind of uh, socialize a little bit and see everybody. Um, and then, you know, five, five o'clock we go down, uh, we have the, uh, uh, we get dinner, uh, 5.30, usually done with that around 5.30, 5.45. And then kind of, you know, from there it's doors open at six and I'm a guy, I like to be down um, in the arena bowl when more, when the pregame warmups happen, just because, uh, you know, there's, you never know what you're going to find down there, whether it be fans or whether it be uh, players uh, on the ice and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that time, you know, there's some socializing time in there to kind of see people around the rink, which is always, you know, uh, one thing I love about this job is the people. So there's always people around the rink that you can run into and talk to and, and stuff like that. And fellow media members you can talk to pregame and, and things like that. Um, but I love being down there, the energy of pregame warmups and kind of, you know, trying to get photos of the fans and whatever fun fans you see and putting that out on social media. Um, you know, trying to get pictures of the players during warmups, anything cool like that. Every once in a while I'll go out to the bench and try to get some, uh, some cool photos from there. Like if you got someone doing their first game, you know, you know, like a rookie making his debut, you know he's going to do the rookie lap. Uh, oh, yeah, that's always that. fun. Yeah, so it's like I want to be on the bench and, and try to get video of the rookie lap that I can put on Twitter because uh, fans love that kind of stuff. And so just always looking for unique things is, you know, pregame to kind of uh, bring the experience of the game for fans who aren't there. You know, what can I put on social media uh, so fans can kind of feel what it's like to be at the arena even if they're not there. Um, and then once the game starts, you know, you're, you're covering it, you know, uh, you know, I'm tweeting during a game. Um, uh, I have the ability to clip some live highlights from our scoreboard. Um, so if, it, if something funny happens on the scoreboard, I can go in and clip something really quick and put that on social media. And then I'm, uh, I'm writing a, a game story as the game goes on as well. So uh, it, it's busy. Um, and I have to have that story done the second the game is over uh, and before we go down for interviews. And so pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm writing basically second intermission. I write the story and then just kind of add to it as the third period goes on. Um, and then as soon as that game's over, I, I put the story up. I go down for post-game interviews. Uh, we do players first and then torts. Um, and then I go back up to my office at that point. It's probably about 10 o'clock in the, in the evening. And I type out what the guys had to say, uh, put that in the story as necessary. And you know, usually then by then it's about 11 o'clock and it's time to go home. So uh, that's a pretty detailed uh, answer as far as what a game day is. But uh, that's pretty, you know, like I say, it's, it's busy, but it's uh, the entire time I'm there. Um, I'm around people I know and people I like and my friends and, and it's a good time. And, uh, as much as the work is, is you're always kind of, especially from six o'clock until 11 o'clock, you're, you're tuned in and you're wired and you're on, um, you, that, that on switch is flipped. Uh, it's fun and, it, and it's exciting. And it, the, the, it's, it's almost like your own little, while the players are playing their game, you're playing your game to, you know, to get that story done and get everything out there as quickly as possible and do it in the, in the best way you can. Uh, and, and that, that's kind of a thrill for me to get to do that all the time. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a busy day, but then, you know, you go home and, and, you know, go to bed and come back and do it again the next day. Speaking on the Blue Jackets season this year, it was quite phenomenal because in preseason, the rankings uh, had the Jackets near the bottom of the league after they lost Panarin, Duchesne, and Bobrovsky, the three big players, to their core at the trade deadline last year. How big has the emergence of Elvis Merz-Lincolns and Jonas Corposalo been? Oh, it's been huge, and it's been the key to the season. And I think, uh, frankly, before the season, I thought this team was going to be better than what people had uh, what the experts have kind of said. And of course I thought that I, I covered yeah. the Blue Jackets and I worked for the team. Uh, so, but at the end of the day, I think people were sort of overlooking, you know, this was still a, a team that had, you know, the Zach Berinskis and Seth Joneses and, 
you know, Cam Atkinson's and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Oliver Bjorkstrand. And, you know, there was a lot of talent in the skater group of this team. And even if, as banged up as they were, you know, I think this is still a pretty good, talented team. But if they didn't have the goaltending, they weren't going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, and losing Bob, who had been, you know, the brick wall for seven years and had been, you know, they really built this team around Sergei Bobrovsky for seven years. And for him to go, uh, I mean, the pressure was there. It was going to, you know, the, the, the question of the season was, were they going to get good enough goaltending to, to be a, a playoff contender? And then pretty much, you know, the first month of the season, it was a little bit up and down. And then uh, Jonas Corposalo really kind of caught fire. Uh, and he was great. And, and I think, you know, the, the Blue Jackets always knew he had that in him. But to see him do it consistently for a 20-game stretch was something uh, that he proved a lot to them in that time. And then he gets hurt, and then Elvis steps in, and it was basically a revelation. I mean, so much fun to watch, uh, so much personality, so much athleticism and skill in his game. And he caught fire and had that great month of, of January where he was probably even better than Corpusalo had been uh, for that time. And so, yeah, they've now got two good goalies that they feel pretty good about. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see which one they end up kind of turning to here in this, uh, as they get restarted and play the uh, Maple Leafs. Uh, that's going to be kind of the million-dollar question around this team. Uh, I think they've got two good answers, so I don't think there's a wrong answer. But, you know, if one guy goes on struggles in the first game, you're really behind the eight ball. So you got to get that one right from the beginning. But, yeah, this whole season was built around, are these goalies good enough? And the team thought they were good enough, but they'd never proven it. And then they went out this year and proved it, and they're both great guys, and they're both easy guys to root for too. Uh, so from the insider perspective, it's been kind of fun to see, uh, see them both have the success that they had because, you know, you know, you knew they had it in them, and you knew they were great guys, and you wanted them to, to be able to do it. And then when they actually did it, it was really neat to be around, I would say. How big is the is going to be uh, Cam Atkinson? He's returning from injury. He's a, he has a former 70 points. How big is that return? Yeah, especially, you know, he, he was really starting to play really well in December, and then he got hurt uh, and missed a month and then came back and wasn't the same player and then missed another month. Uh, you look at a guy who scored 41 goals last year and has pretty much always in his career consistently gotten better as the years have gone on. And has become, I mean, he's really moving up there in the ranks as far as the Blue Jackets' all-time leading scorers. Uh, you know, and he's a guy that I, I, you know, could very well threaten Rick Nash's marks uh, down the road. So, yeah, he's, he's as, uh, as important a player as the Blue Jackets have. And to get him back and have him healthy uh, would, would be huge. I and mean, there's no doubt about it uh, because, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, 41 goals a year ago. Uh, you know, this, this team didn't score a ton of goals this year. Uh, I think they've got it in them uh, to do better. Uh, you know, they've got – you know, Zach Wierenski, one of the top scoring defensemen in the league. You know, Seth Jones can score from the blue line. I think Oliver Bjorkstrand was coming one of the one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is kind of growing his game. But, you know, you need Cam Atkinson to score uh, for this team to be as good as it's going to be. And, you know, I'll be very interested to see how he plays. But uh, if the time off, if he's fully healthy, I think that'll help him out a lot because he just wasn't the same player after he, uh, you know, it's an ankle sprain and the way he kind of, you know, to, to be cutting and digging your skates in the ice and the way he has to play. Uh, I think he's got to be healthy as far as that goes to, to, to be at his best. And, I, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully he'll be there after the Jackets going forward. The Jackets were heavily depleted this year, suffering injury after injury. How did they keep winning? I think when you talk about Torts, uh, I think Torts really instilled in this team a mindset of don't worry about, you know, the guys who are not there. Just focus on the players who are there. And, yeah, I mean, it was tough. And I think at the end of the day, it did catch up with them. You know, once Seth Jones and Oliver Bjorkstrand got hurt in back-to-back -back games and, you know, both basically broke their leg in exactly yeah. the same way. Um, they, they weren't the same team. Uh, you know, I think they only won three of their last 14 games. Uh, and they were in all those games, but they just didn't have the difference makers. Uh, you know, five of those losses were in overtime. And it's like, God, if you just had Oliver Bjorkstrand out there in three-on-three, three, if you just had Seth Jones out there in three-on-three, three, like, you know, 
they probably would have won a couple more of those games and been in a, a better playoff position. But they just they just didn't have the game breakers uh, coming down the stretch there. And Atkinson was hurt as well. You know, they missed Josh Anderson the whole year. So it did catch up with them in the end. But uh, really, this team sort of almost used the injuries to come together. You know, December was really when they started to get banged up. But it's also when they started playing their best hockey. Uh, and, and they had some players who kind of came up from the minor leagues and, and just put it all on the line and just played in the team concept and just said, we're going to go out there and bust our butts uh, and play our butts off. And, and that was the team concept that, that this team kind of needed. Uh, and that's kind of when the team kind of meshed. And then as guys got healthy and came back in there, uh, you know, they, they kind of kept playing in that way. So it's weird that the injuries almost helped them in a way become the team that they became. And then just with Torts, you know, saying, you know, don't focus on the injuries, just go forward. Uh, play your game. You know, you, you can't change anything. Just focus on what you have, and, and, and that's all you got. Uh, you know, he did a great job with that, and the team really bought in, and I think he almost can, became better through it until there were just so many uh, that it was almost impossible for, for them to get better. But uh, in a weird way, it actually sort of bonded them and made them a team that, you know, and all the players I've talked to throughout this coronavirus pause, uh, and I did weekly interviews with guys just to kind of get some, some content out there. Uh, you know, they all talked about, you know, this team was closer than almost any other team that they've ever been on. And, and you could just tell in the way that they played, they were all on the same page and they all battled their butts off and, you know, they were hard to play against and, you know, there was no egos and uh, that doesn't always happen with teams. And so it was kind of weird that I think the injuries sort of made that happen uh, and actually made them a better team in a weird way. Now the Columbus Blue Jackets of last year in the playoffs, 2018, 19, you know, it forced the NHL to make a second bracket challenge because of how many people picked Tampa Bay to win the <laughs> cup. Uh, take me through the night of uh, the sweep when it happened. What, how long were you partying? Were you partying with anyone? <laughs> it, in fact, it was a great night. And I, I, well, the funny thing I will say is about this whole series is that, you know, even when the Blue Jackets are up 3 nothing, like you're, you're, as someone who, you know, has grown up in Ohio as a Blue Jackets fan and a Blue Jackets team employee, I was still terrified that they were going to lose that series because, you think about, okay, you lose, if you lose game you – know, you have to win game four almost because if you lose game four, you go back to Tampa, you know, that's going to be a hard one. You lose game five, you come home for game six, you're like, oh, my God, we have to win game six because we can't go back to Tampa for game seven. So, like, you could easily see how that series could have sort of, like, slipped away. And so, uh, as they were protecting – you know, it's a 4-3 game going to the third period. They're protecting that lead and protecting that lead. And the whole building is nervous. And the whole building <laughs> is just like, oh, my God, is this going to happen? And then when it finally happens – uh, you know, the, the outpouring of joy that, you know, the Blue Jackets fan base have been waiting for for 20 years uh, all comes out. And, in fact, um, someone in the stands threw, like, a thing of popcorn up in the air, and it came down on Media Row and completely covered my laptop. Like, I had popcorn just everywhere <laughs> on my laptop. And so that was one of the things I'll always kind of remember. It was just, like, people were so excited. You know, they're throwing drinks in the air. They're throwing popcorn. It was just so crazy. Um, and then, yeah, post game, you know, pretty much everyone from the organization went out, and, and I will say pretty much we had a good time. Uh, there was no uh, – no one was going to act like you've been there before because no one had ever been there before. So, yeah, yeah. it's fun to uh, – as you were going out around the arena from, from place to place, you were seeing team employees and people who had been around and fans you know and stuff like that. Uh, it, it was definitely a late night, I will say that. It must feel good for a longtime Columbus Blue Jacket player Nick Foligno to finally get to the second round. Yeah, oh, for sure. And what's, what's interesting about this team, too, is how they've kind of built it slowly through the years. Um, and, and Nick's been a part of that, and, and you know, even guys like David Savard and, and Cam Atkinson. Uh, but if you go back, I mean, the, the guts of this team, I think 36 guys played for the Blue Jackets this year, and they drafted 22 of them, which this goes – and most of the big names on this team uh, were guys that they drafted and developed, uh, or guys like Seth Jones or Nick who they traded for, and this years ago. You know, this, these are not new free agent acquisitions that have 
you know, made this team good. Uh, it's guys who've been around for a while and, and kind of have been in the community and know how much it means to the community. Uh, and they built this team from where, you know, five years ago, you know, this team stunk. I, let's just say it. They, they, weren't a good, they weren't a good hockey team. Uh, but they kind of built and built, and they, they added pieces as the years went on. They added torts a couple years ago. Uh, and, you know, they, they had, you know, a couple of those first round game, you know, places where they were close to winning a series, but, you know, that Washington series uh, where they're up to nothing, you know, they, they kept getting closer and closer and then it finally happened. And I think for the people who'd been around for a long time, who've kind of seen it grow, uh, it really meant a lot. And certainly the Nick Felinos of, of the world are part of it. And, you know, he, you know, he tells a great story about he would, he came home from practice one day or maybe from the, from game four or something like that. He comes home. And his neighbors had just surrounded his garage door with brooms uh, that they had found for the sweep that they put there just to show uh, how excited they were. And, and it's just funny how, you know, so many of these guys are so important in the community and they have these relationships because they've been here for so long. Uh, yeah, it means a heck of a lot to them. And, and to see them build this team into a winner, uh, it, it's, it's been kind of cool because it has come from, from within and with good guys who put in the time and put in the effort and put in the, you know, know what it means now to kind of be a Blue Jacket. In your opinion, uh, going into the second round against the uh, Bruins, did you get a sense that Columbus in the city had a swagger to its name? It kind of did, yeah, actually. I mean, for the first time that you'd maybe seen uh, in Blue Jackets history, frankly, because, you know, you can't really have a swagger if you've uh, uh, never won before. But I, I think that team developed that from the from really from the middle of that first Tampa game uh, and the way that they came back and won that game and then the way they played the rest of that Tampa series. They played that series with swagger. I mean, they played like they were the better team. Uh, and Tampa Bay kind of melted down around it. Uh, it was really kind of crazy to see the Blue Jackets, you know, were in command of all those games and, and just felt like they were the better team. And they just let Tampa kind of fall apart around them. And so going into the Boston series, yeah, I think they felt that way. Uh, but certainly, you know, Boston is a team that has a lot of swagger too and a lot of experience. And, and people, you know, look back and kind of forget that it ended up being a really good series. Uh, I mean, Columbus-Boston was about as even as they come. Uh, and Boston ends up winning it, but, you know, Columbus could have won that series, and, and who knows what would happen then, facing Carolina. But, you know, there was a time there where they really started to believe, and I think there, it, it speaks to the, maybe that question that you just asked me about kind of, you know, the guys that have been here for a long time. They've built a winning culture here. Uh, and even this year, you know, part of how they, they survived all the injuries was that winning culture. Uh, and I think uh, going forward, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really good time to be a Blue Jackets fan because, uh, now that they have that culture, I think it's going to sustain for a while. And they've got a lot of good young players. You know, most of the best players on this team uh, are 25 years old or younger. Uh, and and if, the, if it just keeps building, it, it'll be really interesting and really exciting to see what can happen here over the next couple of years. Do you think that the reason Columbus lost to Boston in four games was because they had too much time off? It certainly didn't help. And, and I remember the first game of that Boston series, game one, I mean, Boston was – skating circles around the Blue Jackets for probably the first 25 minutes. And, you know, you could, uh, you could just tell the Jackets were a little bit rusty. They hadn't played a game in 10 days. So, you know, that didn't help. But, you know, at the end of the day, did that matter over a six-game series? Probably not. Um, I, you know, it was a factor in game one, and Boston won that game, but it was an overtime. So I would say, you know, the Jackets still had a chance to win that game. So I think Boston's experience probably played a pretty big factor. Uh, and I think Boston ended up having a little bit better goaltending. And then the, the Blue Jackets got banged up, too. I mean, Josh Anderson got hurt in that series. Uh, Riley Nash got hurt in that series. Uh, they were already down, you know, they were down to their seventh, eighth, and ninth defensemen uh, going into, into that because of injuries with, you know, guys being out. Uh, and so uh, I, it just kind of became a war of attrition, and Boston had a little bit more experience, a little bit more goaltending. Uh, as I look back, I'd say those were the bigger factors. But it, it, did, it did play into, into it a little bit at the start, I would say that, yeah. 
How are you liking how Gary Bettman has handled the return to play format? Or do you think there are changes that could have been made? I think he's handled it about as well as possible. I mean, my only complaint it would be a small one is that, you know, they, they probably could have moved things a little quicker uh, once they, once they made the decision in late, late May that, you know, how things were going to go and what the team, you know, you're going to go 24 teams and things like that. Uh, you know, they, they pretty much, you know, the entire month of June was pretty much spent uh, doing these kind of informal on and off ice workouts. And I, you know, I think they could have maybe moved things a little quicker, but it's hard because you've got players who have gone out internationally and a lot of players went, you know, the European players went home, Russian players went home everyone kind of scattered. So you had to get everybody back and things like that. So I, I sort of get it, but uh, you know, it would have been nice that things had moved a little quicker just because we're going to get into to July and August here. And then we're going to probably have like every sport happening. Um, and you know, maybe the NHL could have got out there a little ahead of things if they moved a little quicker, but you know, through, through it by and large, I think they've been pretty responsible. I mean, they had to shut things down when they did, you know, they had to be to, you know, kind of, you know, you couldn't rush back. There was no doubt about that. Um, you know, once they made the decision, I think, when they made the decision in, in May, they came up with a really good format to do it. Uh, you know, a very fair format to, you know, anyone who was, who had a chance in a playoff spot is in the play, you know, now is kind of in this return to play format, which I think is pretty fair. Um, and I think that, you know, they've really put a lot of time and effort into making sure that these guys stay healthy. Uh, it's going to be really difficult. And um, we've seen, you know, MLS has already had some issues with their bubble. You know, uh, NBA has had some, you know, players in their home facilities, you know, get sick before they've even gotten to their bubble. So, it's, you know, it, it's tough because you can't control the virus. But I think they've, they've taken all the precautions that they can. Um, and we'll just kind of have to see where it goes from here. Nick, <clears throat> sorry, Nick Foligno did come out recently and clarify comments that players, you know, wouldn't take a tank for the number one overall pick, which is just absurd that people would think that. How big <laughs> would Lafreniere be for the Jackets organization if – the Jackets won, or, you know, if the Jackets win the lottery, or the number one He would pick. be huge, because I think if you look at the way the Blue Jackets are constructed, you know, the one piece that they're maybe missing um, is you look at, could this team win a Stanley Cup in the next four to five years? The one thing that they probably could use is a, a superstar winger, and I mean, who couldn't use a superstar winger, yeah. right? But, <laughs> but if you look at over the last probably 15 years, I mean, you know, Ovechkin's won a cup. Sidney Crosby has won, you know, three cups and with Malkin with him. Um, you know, the Taves and Kane group in Chicago won multiple cups. You know, Boston's won. The teams that tend to win the cup have really – have those one or two really difference makers who can make something out of nothing, especially offensively, to score goals. Because it's hard to score goals in the playoffs. And Yeah. Uh, it, you almost need kind of those guys. Who, and even St. Louis was sort of known for its bruising way that it – you know, bruising big – defensemen kind of physical play but they still had Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko on that team I mean, who are really really darn good players um it, it, you, you could even say are game breakers and I think you know you, you need one or two of those guys to really really have legitimate chances to win the Stanley Cup and I think Oliver Bjorkstrand is kind of getting there for the Blue Jackets you know, he had a really great under the radar year um he's only 24 I think or 25 years old and I think he's going to be you know this is going to be a 30 40 goal scorer over the next couple of years I think Pierre-Luc Dubois Getting there, but is he going to be a 25-goal scorer or a 40-goal scorer? I, I think the jury might be out on that. I think he could be 30, uh, but is he ever going to be 40? You know, the, the, he's kind of settled right in in, in the mid-20s uh, right now, but he's also only 21 years old. Uh, but if you added a guy like Refrenier to that whole thing, you'd be like, oh, my goodness. Like Then you'd feel, okay, you've got that game-breaking winger who's a legit number one overall pick, superstar stud, You know, because it's hard to get those guys. You either draft them. Uh, or you sign him in free agency, uh, but how often does that happen in free agency? I mean, we haven't, we've never seen Ovechkin move. We've never seen Crosby move. Uh, you know, Austin Matthews doesn't look like he's going anywhere. McDavid doesn't look like he's going anywhere. 
you know, you pretty much have to draft those guys. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the Blue Jackets would absolutely love to have that. And they're not going to tank, obviously. But, you know, if they lose that series and they're in the, in the running, uh, you know, that would be a heck of a, a consolation prize if they're able to get a Lafreniere. Did you watch the draft lottery? I did, yes. And, and boy, you got about four picks into it and you thought, oh, no. Like, you can see how this was trending. Just because it was like, you know, people were going to – it was just the confusion of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. As far as like, yeah, like it just felt like the most NHL possible thing to have happen was to have a team win the draft lottery who's not even in the draft lottery. Um, but, at the you know, it, it's also fair, I think, the way that they did it. It just kind of felt weird uh, sort of for people who were following it casually – uh, it was maybe a little bit confusing and a little bit dissatisfying, but for, uh, you know, it, it worked out the way it worked out. And, you know, it'll be very, very interesting to see how this is going to go. Uh, and I just feel bad for all the Red Wings fans out there because, boy, they took a, they took a tumble. Speaking of prospects, uh, what are some prospects in the Blue Jackets organization that uh, fans should be excited about? Well, we're going to probably see one here in this upcoming uh, uh, qualifying series against Toronto and uh, Liam Foody, who was the number one pick for the team. Uh, back in 2018, 18th overall, uh, played for the London Knights, you know, the past couple of years and, and really uh, had become one of the elite players in the OHL uh, this season, was on Canada's uh, World Junior Championship gold medal team um, and came up and played a couple games for the Jackets in February and, and did not look out of place at all. Uh, he's in this camp and he could play for the team and I think he's pretty much assured of being on the opening night roster a year from now. Uh, and so, you know, he's, he's a guy that they're going to see immediately. Um, down the road, uh, uh, Kirill Marchenko uh, over in Russia, you know, he signed two more years over to play for the St. Petersburg team over there. Uh, but, you know, he was another guy that was in the World Juniors and, and was playing really, really well in the KHL this year. Uh, then by the, when he comes over in a couple years, could be, uh, you know, one of those, you know, top six forward kind of guys uh, that really stands out. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to bring down the road. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of excited, too, to see uh, that, you know, they just signed uh, Jake Christensen on the WHL, uh, who was one of the top free agents who was available. Um, and, you know, he could be a guy defensively. You know, I think the defensive pipeline for the Jackets is a little thin. Um, he really adds to that and could be the next guy you see coming up and, and playing big minutes on the blue line for the Blue Jackets. So, and they've got a really good goalie pipeline as well. Uh, and we saw Matisse Kivlenix come up and play a few games this year. Uh, Vaney Vevelainen uh, played in Cleveland this year and had a really good year. And so they've got a, a good number of guys coming down the pipe in the goaltending realm as well. So, uh, you know, they, I don't think they have the deepest farm system, but they've got some guys who in the next – uh, two to three years are really going to start to contribute. Uh, and they don't need a bunch of guys to do that because they've pretty much locked up this core uh, for the next couple of years. But, you know, as you start adding a couple more pieces, uh, I think they've got some good ones that are coming down the road. With a wacky lottery system came a wacky playoff system. How do you like the 2014 playoffs? I think it works out fine. I think it's the best they could do. You just – you had to do more than 16. Uh, it just wasn't going to be fair because uh, you had teams who had, you know, thought they were going to have 12 to 15 more games to make the playoffs. And then when they, you know, the pause happened when it happened and to, to not give the teams a chance to be in it, uh, who were right on that borderline. Uh, I don't think that would have been fair for anybody. And, and Columbus is in that group as well. So I'm, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but um, I, I think it was fair to go to 24. I mean, maybe did just do Chicago and Montreal. I mean, those were teams where I think would pretty much given up the ghost as to being playoff teams, but you know, now they're in it. Um, is it, is that fair? But, it, you know, give them a chance, I guess. Like, I mean, it's better to have, I think, more teams and settle it on the ice than to have less teams uh, and have people griping. So I think, you know, I think they did it as fairly as they could, and I think it's going to be fun. Um, I can't wait to watch it. So, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I think they did the best they could. I think they came up with the most fair system that they could. Um, and, and now we'll see what happens. 
do you think the NHL should carry this format out, you know, with the lottery uh, being the same and the playoffs being expanded? Do you think they should carry it out in, you know, future seasons? I wouldn't say for future seasons just because, you know, 16 is pretty good. Um, I think it's good having half your teams in the playoffs. I think that's a good number. Um, it just, you know, the way that this is obviously a unique, you know, once in a lifetime thing that's happened here. Uh, we kind of had to make the best of, of the hand we were dealt and go forward. But I, I would say, uh, I mean, I don't think there's any real reason to expand to 24. I mean, that's just so many teams um, at that point. And I think 16 is, is the right number. Uh, but it is tough because you do lose. I mean, if you look around the league, you know, th- there's really only about six or seven teams you look at and you say, you know, that's just not really a, a really good hockey team. And that kind of sounds mean. And you can still lose those teams on a, on a, you know, if you don't have your best night. But every year now, there are probably, you know, I would say seven to eight teams that get left out. Those seven, those 17 to 24 kind of teams, you know, you look at the rosters and think that's a hard team to beat right there. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, could, you could sell me a little bit on, you know, maybe more teams deserve to be in it. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to cut off somewhere. And I think 16 is a pretty good number in, in, a, in the full season because uh, you, you just, you know, you have your chances at that point. Now, like you mentioned, the Jackets are up against the Leafs. And as a Habs fan myself, I love watching the Leafs fail. Uh, what, what's your outlook for the series? It's going to be super interesting. And it's, you know, it's, the, it's the ultimate clash of styles, as they say, because the Blue Jackets you know, won games this year because of how good they were defensively. The Maple Leafs win games because of how good they are offensively. And so whichever team you know, dictates the pace of the game is going to be the team that's going to win. And who's it going to be? Who knows? I mean, I think – uh, you know, in the playoffs, defensive teams usually fare better, which I think favors the Blue Jackets. Uh, but I also think that with, a, with these teams taking so much time off, you know, you always see when, this, when the league comes back in the beginning of the season, scoring is up. And then as, the, you know, as teams really buckle down for the playoffs, scoring goes down as the year goes on. So, you know, maybe that's something to the fact that, you know, when, when hockey starts again, uh, will offensive teams have an advantage? Because that's the way it is in October and November of most seasons. Uh, so, Maybe that gives Toronto the advantage. Who knows? Uh, but it's going to be whichever team gets to their game the fastest. And uh, which team will that be? I have absolutely no idea. It's going to be uh, – that's what the whole thing's going to be about, uh, whichever team can play its style. Um, and I wouldn't surprise me for this to be a five-game series because it, they're so close. I mean, they both ended up with 81 points in 70 games. They both played the game so differently. Uh, it's a really interesting matchup. Have you been watching how uh, the Leafs play during this coronavirus pandemic? What's that? Have you been watching highlights of how the Leafs played during this coronavirus pandemic? Not a ton, but I think, I think people kind of know what this Leafs team is all about. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, certainly the, the people with the team, you know, I, I talked to Brad Shaw, one of our uh, assistant coaches for a Q&A a little bit ago, and, and he, you know, he kind of runs the defense for, uh, for the Jackets, and, you know, he's breaking down power plays and breaking down how they try to score and things like that. You know, people in the organization certainly are who are on hockey ops, but for me, uh, you know, I, we know what Toronto is all about. We know it's, it's, you know, they're trying to score goals. They're trying to, it's Austin Matthews and John Tavares and uh, Mitch Marner and, and William Nylander. And, and, you know, they're trying to win, you know, they're trying to score three or four goals and win every game because uh, that's, that's what their strength is. That's what they're made of. So, uh, you know, for the Blue Jackets, it's going to be not allowing that time and space. And it's going to be, uh, you know, you've got to be on your game for 60 minutes. You can't take a ton of penalties. Uh, your penalty kill, which has been a strength for the team most of the year, has to be on its game. Uh, you can't start chasing the puck or they're going to put it in the back of the net. That's as, as, as simple as it is. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think everyone knows what this is all about. Like I say, it's a great matchup. Now, on March 18th, uh, CTV News, uh, their reporters had to be innovative uh, as they had to use uh, hockey sticks attached to microphones to demonstrate physical distancing. <laughs> Do you see that as a potential route for the media to go in the near future? 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Cause I mean, we're not, who knows when this pandemic's going to end. And, you know, I think even until vaccines comes out, you know, we're all going to be in, in kind of different worlds. And so, uh, yeah, well, we have to do something like that. It might be, I mean, when we came back uh, right before the, um, the pause hit and we were doing interviews of players, uh, we had to keep six feet away uh, for one of the interview sessions. And they put like, you know, they put a player at a table and they put tape around and you couldn't get any closer than that. Um, and we were all kind of like, well, this seems a little bit weird. And, you know, we, we didn't really know what was coming, obviously. Uh, so, you know, is there going to be a six foot barrier going forward? You know, when are we going to be allowed back in the locker room? Uh, when's the next time we're, you know, you've all seen scrum workers with Jay and Dan, uh, but if, um, you know, we all know what the scrums are like in the NHL locker rooms. Are we going to see those anytime in the near future? Who knows what it's going to be like? So, um, I mean, if I got to take one of my hockey sticks and tape a mic to it, maybe I will. Uh, but, uh, I hope to keep them so I can just keep playing hockey with them ideally. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately for Jane Dandard, skit of scrum lurkers will have to come to a end until the near future, until all this gets resolved. Yeah, and I was a scrum worker. Uh, I got caught in Montreal last year um, when we were, uh, after a practice, Torts was talking, and I was on the outside of it, uh, and I got the scrum worker treatment on Jane Dance, so you can go back and find that one. Does that, do you uh, take pride in that? Uh, maybe not pride. Uh, I'd, I'd like to be the scrum question asker. Uh, rather than <laughs> uh, but, you know, you have to take it in good spirit and good fun. And it, it happens every once in a while where you get yourself in a bad spot and you look at the camera and you go, oh, no. Like, this happened to me uh, when we were uh, – one of the last games we played was in Edmonton. Um, and uh, Gus Nyquist was talking after the game. And I was trying to get to a spot uh, to get in there for the interview. Um, and I, I kind of came around the back of him uh, – to, to get my spot and get my mic in there. And I look up and I'm looking straight into the Fox Sports Ohio camera. And I'm like, I am live on the postgame show right now. And I am just as much in this shot as Gus Nyquist. I was just like, oh no. And you can even, <laughs> I went back and, and found the video and you can even see like the exact moment where I look up and see the camera and you can sort of see my face go, oh, like, oh, this is not where I want to be. Uh, it, but it happens. You just got to take it and, and run with it because it's, it's just the way it's going to be. Now, final question here on the podcast. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring sports journalists? Like I said, uh, you know, work hard. Um, there's a real battle about out there as to whether you should do things for free or not. And that's hard for me to answer. I don't think that it's great, you know, that there's, uh, you know, there are, there are certainly big websites out there that will kind of exploit you for your labor. And I don't think that that's, you know, great business practices. But I will say, you know, the, the more work you can do and the more work you can get published, uh, you know, develop a unique voice, uh, you know, write what you want to write, be you, and get it out there, however you can get it out there, uh, because, you know, you're only going to get better by doing it, uh, you're only going to, you know, develop followers and make a name for yourself and, and by, by doing it, and, and meeting people and catching an eye or things like that, so, you know, like I said, this business is about timing, and it's, and it's honestly about who you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't want it to sound like people get jobs that they don't deserve, but, you know, Anytime you're trying to make it in the media business and you're applying for a job, there's probably going to be 100 people applying for that job. And so it just does help to, to have contacts and have people that know your work and know how good your work is and can vouch for you uh, when, the, when those times come along. So, uh, you know, you've got to do good work, but you've also got to know people and you've got to develop contacts. And, you, and, and you know, not in a, in a self-serving way where it's like, oh, I just want to develop this contact for the sake of developing contact. But, you know, I, I think over the years, you know, when you're around people, you, you develop relationships and you develop friendships. Uh, and those are the things that help you out a lot. So, uh, you know, just stick with it and, and keep doing it. Um, you know, like I say, uh, try to get your work out there as much as possible. Uh, try to get better. Read other people. You know, 
what decide for you what you think is good and what you think isn't. Um, and, and just go from there and develop your voice and, and try to meet people and try to get, you know, people like your work and go from there. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Columbus Blue Jackets insider Jeff Svoboda for joining me today. Thank you again, Jeff. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, man.